Welcome to the Plant Cunning Podcast, where we explore a relationship to plants, other people, and the mysteries of nature. Coming to you from the High Allegheny Plateau in central New York, we are your hosts, A.C. Staubel and Isaac Hill. Episode 22, John Michael Greer on Johnny Appleseed's America and Green Wizardry. In this episode, we speak with JMG about who Johnny Appleseed was and why he's important to this time, about the weird and magical history of America, what dissensus is, and we speak with JMG about his book Green Wizardry, about the late 70s appropriate tech movement, and about some of the many ways that you can reduce your energy consumption. We're putting this episode out about a week or so before Johnny Appleseed Day. Well, uh, the March 11th Johnny Appleseed Day, because there's also September 26th Johnny Appleseed Day. March 11th is a good time to be planting apple trees, or grafting apple trees, maybe. And then September is obviously a really good time to start harvesting apples. Making apple cider, and apple cobbler, and apple pie. So, I'm going to be grafting some apple trees, which is actually kind of the opposite of the way that Johnny Appleseed felt, because he always would plant apple trees from seed and was kind of against grafting on a religious basis. Uh, He was a Swedenborgian, as we'll see. But I still think it's uh, in the spirit. JMG didn't make up these days. They're already uh, part of the culture, or becoming part of the culture. But he's encouraging folks to celebrate them as a day that celebrates a very weird person, weird and magical and spiritual person in America's history. And by so doing, getting in touch with our personal, individual vision, our high weirdness, our magical side. So I will join the chorus and encourage folks to celebrate the day if they want to. Um, But really, I'm encouraging folks to find their own inner vision, and follow that. I've been having a lot of fun doing so, and uh, I hope you do too. And I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, John Michael Greer. Welcome back to the Plant Cutting Podcast. How are you today? I'm doing pretty well. Thank you for having me on again. Of course. Thank you for being on. It's an an honor. (laughs) So uh, if any of our listeners uh, haven't heard your first interview with us you go into your bio so they can hear about that then mm. <laughs> they go back in time <laughs> so my, my life has not changed significantly since then so i figure we i don't need to do much of an update sweet cool yeah we can just dive into it then so we'll just start to, by talking about johnny appleseed um mm-hmm. he's somebody who has always been part of my life i remember when i was mm-hmm. a little kid um we would sing, oh, the Lord's been good to me, and mm-hmm. so I thank the Lord, and the Johnny Appleseed hymn. Uh, and... I, I know this. I know it. We, <laughs> sang it the, we sang it in the Boy Scouts. Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when you, when you wrote, um, you wrote several posts about Johnny Appleseed on mm-hmm. your blog, and mm-hmm. uh, I thought that was really cool, because, um, you know, he's, he's such a pull for me, and I'm also like a plant propagator and so mm-hmm. on. That person, so kind so. of kind of following following in his in his bare footsteps. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so he was, he was actually Johnny Appleseed for Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Okay, that works. 
<laughs> did, did you did you have a t- did you have a tin pot for a hat? Yeah, I got a tin pot, a sack of apples, and I took off my shoes. <laughs> uh, there you go. <laughs> costume. I guess a cheap costume that'll do. Um, I hope the clothes were fairly ragged and stained, though, because if you had been wandering through the um, what used to be the American West, what we now mostly call the Northeast, um, for you know for for most of a lifetime, you're, I mean, he spent he spent a significant period wearing whatever people gave him in terms of cast-off clothing, and if that amounted to a gunny sack, that's what it amounted to. Uh huh. Wow. Yeah. So, do you think you could get get into a, who Johnny Appleseed is or sure. was, was, or still yeah. is, <laughs> or, or still or still is? You know, a, 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 to some extent, a John, someone like Johnny Appleseed never really dies. I mean, the physical yeah. body dies, but um, there's there's an energy that continues. His his actual name was John Chapman. Um, he was born in Massachusetts just before the Revolutionary War, September 26, seventeen seventy four. And so grew up in during the revolution and then during the, the first years of the republic. Um, he was he got into um, nursery work, um, planting trees and things quite early. It was that was a major part of the of the American economy in those days. And um, he also got into and this is the thing you will not hear in the typically Disneyfied um, sort of nonsense that typically gets trotted or trotted around these days. He also got into alternative spirituality. Um, ah. John Chapman, John, Johnny Appleseed was a follower of what, what's called the Swedenborgian Church, which was founded by a guy who actually was based on the visions of a man named Emanuel Swedenborg, who was a Swedish mystic visionary expert scientist and a range of other things who um, uh, saw and talked with angels rather a lot. And so the, the Swedenborgian church had a very large presence in the United States in those days. It's still around. There are still some churches to be had. There are websites where you can you can read Swedenborg's uh, teachings and so on. But um, Johnny Appleseed, John Chapman, encountered this and read the things and thought about it and prayed a lot and decided that that, that was as close, you know, if, if there was anything closer to truth than that, he'd never heard of it. And so this this man who who we have in our frontier legends we have in our sort of hardwired into our american imagination he was a missionary of a dissident religion he was going around not only spreading apple trees but um spreading as he says um you know news fresh from heaven and I love that. <laughs> yeah of course we don't we don't talk about that in america do there's right. this bizarre fantasy that gets um, that gets spread around with equal thickness by, on the one hand, um, the Christian mainstream, and on the other hand, the atheist mainstream. Those two kind of the Tweedledum and Tweedledee of American popular culture these days. They both fixate on the idea that they're the only two options that we've ever had in the United yeah. States. Yeah. Yeah, that it's either it's either Sad. dour Puritan saying thou art bad, or it's scientific atheist saying thou art meaningless. You know, and it's <laughs> sort of back and forth but <clears throat> between these two outfits. And in fact, the United States has been crawling with wizards, sorcerers, heretics, strange religious believers, um, prophets, visionaries. You name this is this is a nation that has been full of strange beliefs and fascinating powers since since colonial times. 
And one of the things I've been trying to do in my blog post is to get that back into people's heads to let them realize Amer- the history of America is not a matter of stultifying boredom and the endless go-round between the scientists and the, and, and the fundamentalists. That, that There's a whole world out there of stuff that's actually much more interesting. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah, I've, I've been really enjoying that series. It, it's eye-opening. I mean, and I've heard about some of these people before, mm-hmm. but – uh, there's this whole, there are all whole levels of, of, mm-hmm. of other things that they're doing that they don't talk about. That, that nobody talks about. I mean, yeah. what, one, one that we're going to be getting into more a little later in some posts is L. Frank Baum, the writer of The Wizard of Oz, who was ah, an yeah. occultist. He was a member of the Theosophical Society. And if you read The Wizard of Oz with your eye on that, all of a sudden you go, oh, that's what he's talking about. It's yeah. actually it's it's a marvelous when you know when people talk about how how magical this book is they don't know the half of it. Yeah, so we've got to make America weird again a little bit. We got thank you. Yeah, make America weird again. That I like that. Um, but also make America magical again. Let us remember yeah. this yeah. this nation is not limited to the 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 incredibly cramped stereotypes being pushed by both ends of the political spectrum these days. Yeah, that's very important. And and we just don't like, we're not taught that in schools. We're not taught no. that there's this vast, mysterious, interesting history. The, this, this, this immensity of fascinating stuff going on. Um, everyone knows about Helen Keller. Okay. She was yeah. another Swedenborgian. Huh? <laughs> Seriously, um, half the interesting people in American life belonged to some – had at least some relatively strange belief system, and the other half were probably doing it too, but they're just hiding it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's that kind of situation. We yeah. have been lied to by people who insist that our nation's history is dull. Well, and that, they do that the whole way back through like Giordano mm-hmm. Bruno. You know, he's, oh. a, he's a hero of, of the science <laughs> You know? <laughs> oh yeah, died of the for science. Yeah, when 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 Frances Yates published her book Giordano Bruno and the Hermetic Tradition, people had well cattle, whole herds of cattle, because here's you know Giordano Bruno, martyr of science, and she actually says, okay, read what the man wrote. Here are the books on magic. Here are the books on occult philosophy. Here are the books on the art of memory and all this strange stuff. Um, yeah, but yeah, so but people people did a lot of whining about that. Yeah. So, it, what else is important to uh, to you Hello. about about Johnny Appleseed? Like, uh, I mean, he's a weird guy mm-hmm. into these fringe religious stuff. But uh, what else interests you about him? Okay. Um, one of the things that, that I find fascinating about Johnny Appleseed is that he is a great image of someone who had a vision and followed it. He didn't yeah. um, look around and say, well, what's the acceptable thing to do? You know, what, does, what, what, do, what, do, what do my teachers and guidance counselors think I ought to do? Uh, they didn't have guidance counselor in those days, lucky people. But, um, <laughs> you know, what, what, do, what does the establishment think is best for me? What is the television yelling at me to tell me what to do? We didn't have television then either, lucky people. But no, he had a vision. It was quite possibly, you could call it a deranged vision, but it worked. He had a vision of himself spreading apple trees 
all across what was then the American West, traveling westward into, the, into Ohio, into the Ohio River Valley, into what later became Indiana, out through Pennsylvania, all this region, planting apple trees. Um, he had a vision of bringing peace. He was not going to be talking about, he was, he was not going to be pushing this or that or the other, just sharing his beliefs with people. If they wanted to hear, if they didn't, he was fine with that. He had a vision of, of accepting what people gave him, um, not not demanding, you know, pay me X, Y, Z. But you know, if you've got something to eat, if you got something to spare that I can eat, I'd be I'd be grateful for that. The kind of things that mystics and monks and hermits have done for you know how many thousands of years. That was his vision, and he made it work. Yeah, he spent his entire life, from from young adulthood to advanced old age. Walking all around that the you know the region of of from the Appalachians into into Indiana, um, planting apple trees, teaching his Swedenborgian gospel, following his own vision, and in the process expanding the range of possibilities for all of us. There's a lot of people in our history like that. People who looked at, looked at the the official approved ideas for what they ought to do with their lives and said, no, I don't think so. I'm going to do something interesting instead. And they did it. Yeah. Johnny Appleseed is one of the great examples. Um, Benjamin Franklin's another one. We can, you know, that's, they're, they're, and there are plenty of others. Sun Ra. Yeah, Sun Ra. Oh, man. There, there is a strange and wonderful guy. He is going to be getting an entire post oh, great. all to okay. himself as we, when, when we get to him. Because, he, again, he had connections to quite a range of African-American occult movements in, in the, the urban regions where he hung out. He, he, was, he was connected with all that. And, and there was a rich heritage that he drew on. And, of course, he did very creative things with it, with his music and also with, it, with his ideas. So what is Johnny Appleseed's America? Um, it's the place that the media doesn't want you to know about. Ah, <laughs> it's, it's the, the, every nation is imaginary. Okay. Every nation exists in our imaginations and we kind of map it onto the ground in a sort of vague sense. I think in some ways America is more of an imaginary place than others because so there's so many ideas and so many dreams and so many, so many weird beliefs that have, that have come to be fixated on this, this word America and this image of the United States. But we suffer from, in, our, in today's time, we suffer from this bizarre contraction of the imagination. I think television has a lot to do with it, and I think the, the sort of mass media under the internet has a lot to do with it. Compressing America down into this narrow little place where everyone sort of is a nice, happy little cog in a machine run by, you know, big industry and the big, and the big internet barons. Um, and... Johnny Appleseed's America is a different place. It's a different way of imagining America. A way, a, it's, it's the kind of America where a young man can say, you know, I'm going to go around planting apple trees for the rest of my life and do it. Yeah. It's the kind of place where people can embrace their own visions and make those visions real. That's Johnny Appleseed's America. It's an America that a lot of us have forgotten about and that I think we desperately need to remember it now. Yeah. Yeah. So you have a plan for uh, sort of celebrating Johnny Appleseed twice mm -hmm. a year. Did you yeah. go into that a little bit? Um, yeah, I'm going to have to look up the dates. <laughs> it was uh, March 11th, 
I Thank think you. March 11th. We're coming, we're coming up on that, of course. And September yeah. 25th. Yeah. Um, let's see. And one of those was his birthday, and one of them was just Johnny Appleseed Day, which somebody decided on. I think it's the, the best day in much of his region to plant apple trees. Yeah. And yeah, March, no, I, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's the the March one. Although, again, it depends on where you live. Right. But we might be a little later here in New York. It's like exactly. Cold. Exactly. Be a little. It'll be a little earlier here in Rhode Island. Um, here with the maritime climate we've got, it's it's a little warmer. But yeah, um, but yeah, my idea is just to start by encouraging people to celebrate those dates. And celebrate them however. Celebrate them by eating an apple. Celebrate them by planting an apple tree. Celebrate them by tipping back cider. One of the things that made Johnny Appleseed welcome is that fermented apple cider was the common alcoholic beverage of the American frontier. Yeah. Yeah, that you know, made him he was, pretty popular. It made him extremely popular. I forget who, who wrote this very fine essay about him and described it, describing Johnny Appleseed as the American Dionysus. The oh, man Michael Pollan. Michael yeah. Pollan, yeah. yeah, the man who brought the booze. Yes. <laughs> and, the and, and of course, at a time when it's when we've gotten very much into a, a very dour sort of Puritan attitude toward all kinds of enjoyments. Alcohol is bad for you and this kind of stuff. It, anything is bad for you in excess. Water is bad for you in excess. You drown very in true. it. Um, you know, for those who do not have a problem with al- with alcoholism or substance abuse, alcohol is a perfectly harmless thing to do in moderation. Johnny Appleseed wasn't talking about anything else. Yeah. And so, so yeah, just starting these these remembrances, and there will be others as we proceed. Um, talking about some of the other the the people who were significant, the people who set things in motion. At some point, it would be nice to create a kind of American calendar of weirdness. Yeah. yeah. People, yeah, people who followed their own vision, people who who had a dream and then did something about it, and not not the not the acceptable ones, not the ones who get quoted by politicians, <laughs> <laughs> but right. the ones who were weird. Sun Ra, yeah. the day when he descended from to Earth from Saturn. I think Norm better known as his birthday. He always <laughs> said he was from no. He was he always said he was from Saturn. I, I'm perfectly willing to to assume that he was right. <laughs> no, I put that I put that in one of my novels that um, near of the crawling chaos. He and 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 one of the characters are listening to Sunra, and um, Nirlathotep glanced at the human character and said, "He really did come from Saturn, you know." <laughs> <laughs> Who are we to say, really? Yeah, there we go. But I like but that yeah. idea of like highlighting America's eclectic, out of the box thinkers to really encourage exactly. people to like give them permission to do that these days when we feel kind of helpless and like exactly. we don't have control. Yeah, or role and in, models that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the the delusion that we are helpless, the delusion yeah. that we just have to accept whatever is handed to us by, you know, whatever the nice man in the nice commercial on the nice TV wants to sell us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, getting past that delusion, getting to the getting to the realization that we each have the capacity to create our own lives. That in every person is the seed of some kind of magnificence, and it may be a weird mag. It's usually a weird magnificence, but it's there, and it may express itself in great things. It may express itself in small things, but everyone benefits when each of us yeah. finds that seed of magnificence and pursues it, rather than just trudging through. A dr- the dreary routine assigned us by our corporate lords and masters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so for somebody like Johnny Appleseed, mm-hmm. um, he's kind of like an American 
hero or saint or holy mm-hmm. man. And there's yeah. been a like uh, tradition of uh, working with those kind of you know mighty mm-hmm. dead throughout mm-hmm. the history of civilization. Oh, yeah. uh, so d- is that part of the plan too? Um, I, I certainly would not discourage anyone from giving it a try. Um, my guess is if you were to set up a little shrine and, you know, keep it tended and burn a candle to, to St. Johnny Appleseed or whatever you want to call him. I, I have some background in hoodoo, so my immediate thought is to think of him as, you know, St. This, like, it's like yeah. St. Expedite or St. John Coltrane or St. Martin Luther King for that matter. Yeah. Um, you know, so Saint Saint John Chapman. If you want to burn a, burn a candle to him and ask him for help with your garden or with you know with pursuing the, the life of your dreams or what have you, I have a hunch you'd probably get a good reaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I and and this is not something I'm going to tell anyone to do, but it's certainly right. not something I'm going to discourage anyone from doing. <laughs> well, it makes sense to me, patron saint of uh, of nursery mm-hmm. people. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, in in polytheist societies, they they're much more sensible about this. In in I, I due to due to having been um, partly raised by a, by a Japanese American stepmother, I, I know a certain amount about about Japanese culture. And in Shinto, in the Japanese polytheist religion of Shinto, it's normal for famous dead people to become ikigami, to become um, people you worship. And so you set up a shrine and you, you, you do the appropriate things and you get various blessings from them. And so um, Johnny Appleseed, it strikes me, would make a, would make a fine ikigami. And if, if people were to set up a shrine to him and, you know, start doing, making the, doing the appropriate stuff, and, and my guess is they'd get some pretty fair results. But the shrine should be surrounded by apple trees. Ah, yeah. <laughs> so it seems to me that Johnny Appleseed's America is a great example of what you talk about as dissensus. Mm-hmm. Do you think you could explain that concept to our listeners? Yeah, the the, con- the concept of dissensus. Um, I'm going to freeze up here at the moment. I've forgotten the name of the extremely interesting Polish literary critic who, who came up with a concept just now. But she was pointing out that we have this fixation on consensus in, in our society. And that is a very deadening thing. Trying to insist that everybody should come to some kind of common belief is usually a bad idea. It's much more useful to have, um, unless you have to, you know, come to some kind of common direction or so on. Um, but you know, if you're lost in the woods, you do not you do not get out most efficiently by sitting down and coming to a consensus about the what the way what the way out is. You get you do it by sending out search parties in all kinds of different directions. And that's the situation we're in right now is very much like that. We're lost. We don't know the right way ahead. And so dissensus, the principled avoidance of, of consensus, the decision to you go your way, I'll go my way, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll report back here after six hours and see who found what. That's actually a very effective way to move toward, um, toward solutions in an uncertain environment. Yeah, and it's also the basis of that very, you know, that much lauded and, and um, very heavily avoided concept we call freedom. Ah. The idea of freedom is that you know you should be able to do what you want insofar as you, it doesn't make serious trouble for anybody else. Yeah. And by the way, um, feeling offended is not does not count. 
So, the, but the the notion of freedom is simply that okay, if everybody simply goes their own way, and you know, we we do our best to make sure that we don't interfere with each other, we don't conflict with each other, we just head in our own directions. The results are better than if we have a regimented, structured thing where everyone does exactly what somebody who claims to know the truth tells them to do. Yeah, yeah. So this actually is a good segue into. Uh, talking about your book, Green Wizardry, because mm -hmm. that book is all about uh, the chaos that is happening and is to come mm -hmm. with the decline of industrial society and some avenues forward. Some that tangible mm -hmm. skills. Yeah. 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 So, so, yeah, go ahead. Well, do you think you give us a little background on the current um, uncertain future? <laughs> A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Um, so the, basically, back in the 1970s, a lot of scientists looked at industrial civilization and said, you know, if we keep on trying to have limitless economic growth on a finite planet, we're going to run into steady problems one after another. Things are going to start falling apart. We're going to begin running short on resources. And eventually, it's all going to tip over into decline, a prolonged economic contraction, all kinds of trouble. People said, oh, come on, nonsense. That, that was mostly what happened. That was the politics of the 1980s were the shout of nonsense. That won't happen. That's what's happening. Outside of a few bubbles, a few, a few nicely screened off areas where the well-to-do live, America has been in decline for a good many years now. Get, get away from the coasts, head into flyover country, or even stay in the coasts and head into the poor part of town. And the level of dilapidation, the level of infrastructure decay is reminiscent of the Soviet Union in its last years. And so, and you know, the, of course, my, my, my friend and, and longtime debating partner, Dmitry Orlov, has pointed, pointed out quite some time ago that the same kind of thing can happen here, the same kind of juddering collapse that hit the Soviet Union. Um, we'll see. But setting that aside, we basically ignored the, um, the voices of scientists in the 1970s. We pretended that we can go ahead and have our planet and eat it too. And the consequence <laughs> is that we've managed to bridge things over and patch things up. And where are we now? Where we are now is um, a situation where Everything's just kind of slowly breaking down bit by bit. Um, our electricity is no longer anything like as reliable as it once was. We saw that, of course, in Texas, but also think of the last couple of years in California where they had to literally shut off the power system because there have been inadequate maintenance for so many years. There's a lot of places where this is the case. And so many of the basic infrastructures, the basic technologies on which we depend, they're old, they're creaky. Um, we don't have the resources to repair them anymore. And there's an enormous amount of backing and forthing and hand-waving and um, scuffing things under rugs and trying to turn our backs on stuff, trying to pretend that everything's okay, when in fact, it's not okay. Now, this does not mean that we are going to wake up tomorrow morning living in caves. The great fallacy of this whole situation are the people who insist that if we can't progress infinitely up to some kind of Star Trek future, then the only alternative is to slam face first into total disaster and everyone dies. That's a fantasy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. What is happening 
It's what's been happening since the 1970s. Vulnerable populations are being basically shoved off the island. Um, economic contraction is being um, going on very rapidly everywhere outside of the little bubbles of prosperity, mostly along the coast. Um, and we have this sort of ongoing contraction going on that nobody wants to talk about and that is being papered over by printing ever more exorbitant amounts of, of money, paper mm -hmm. money, hallucination, hallucinatory money, IOUs that can never be paid. Right. That's how we're doing things. So in that kind of situation, um, it occurred to me that looking back at some of the solutions that were being proposed in the 1970s when I was involved, I was kind of underfoot in the late 1970s in the appropriate tech movement, that would be appropriate. And that's what inspired the book Green Wizardry. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So there are a lot of really interesting um, and valuable practical applications you have in here. And I can... Mm -hmm. I've got a lot of these books, like the Foxfire book, uh, Possum Living. Uh, no. Oh no, that's that's one I have not heard of for a while. That's a good one. one. Yeah. I remember I'm, I, I I first picked up a copy of that in the library in Burien, Washington, in something like 1978. Cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Possum Living is a great great book. Yeah, I love the yeah. author's voice. She's just so energetic mm -hmm. and like youthful enthusiasm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. There, and there's a lot, there's an enormous number of books like that. Yeah. And in fact, if you want used bookstores, especially the sort of dingy, drab, um, the sign is creaky and maybe letters are falling off of it. And the, the, the stock in back, nobody has sorted through it in 50 years. That's where you're going to find your treasures. Yeah, I, we also have this book, uh, which I found, I think is really interesting. It's called The Integral Urban House. Oh, yeah. Excellent. I'm glad you have that. That's a superb book. Yeah, our, mm. our friend Chris is loaning it to us. He's been lo mm -hmm. loaning it to us for about a year. But it, <laughs> um, it, it yeah, like... I, don't, I don't know what the copyright status of that is, but somebody needs to bring a new copy of that out because mm. it's, it, I mean, the, the information they have about taking a house, an ordinary city house, and making it more, making it sustainable. It's just brilliant. They did yeah. amazing things in that. And that's a good example of your of your uh, retrofit yeah. strategy. Yeah, exactly. And really, at this point, given some of the resource limitations we, that many of us are under personally, I mean, aside from the society, the whole retrofit approach is really the most useful in a lot of ways because we can take existing existing houses, existing buildings, existing technologies, and sort of jerry-rig something that works. Yeah, you know, a very, a very American thing to do. Ben Franklin <laughs> did that a lot. Yeah, I'm personally more on the down home funk side, <laughs> but that's just the. But I think you know, this one of these dissensus things is like everyone's gonna have their own mix. Oh yeah, of things. yeah, exactly, exactly. The thing is, I, I, down home funk is very. I, I'm I'm going to put on my my incipient geezer act here. I have enough gray in my beard now that I can do this. Okay. Um, down-home funk tends to be very appealing to the young because they have <laughs> enough energy. No, seriously, because, you know, yeah. when you're young, you have enough energy to look at, you know, building a cabin from scratch. And it's a marvelous adventure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, middle age on at my age, you know, pushing, pushing old age at this point. <sighs> Back, back in back in my day, Sonny, or what have you. Um, but I, I retrofit really works well for me because it's less work. Yeah. 
Well, do you think but, you, but go ahead. Oh, well, do you think you could give us a little overview of those three strategies that are at the end of the book? There's down home funk, the uh, uh, retrofit and the, the new alchemy. One. Okay, yeah. So basically, this, these, these are the three directions that a lot of work was done in, in the 1970s and very early 1980s. Down-home funk is um, looking at the past, looking at, you go to the Foxfire book, you go to um, Edward Tunis's brilliant books on colonial America, you go to, how did people do this back in the day? Let's do it. Because it is known to work. You don't have to come up with something from scratch. Yeah. You've got these tried and true techniques, and so it's a great foundation. The downside, of course, is that first of all, you do typically have to build it from the ground up. You have to cut down the trees or what have you. And um, secondly, it does require you to be comfortable with um, a 19th century lifestyle, which is fine. I've done it. Um, I, I lived, yeah, for, I lived <laughs> for some time on a on, on a on a little hippie commune in Bellingham, Washington, where um, we had no running water and no electricity and no central heat. Um, you know, we, on a on a cold winter morning, it was a matter of you know get shiver, get out get shiveringly out of bed, um, get some clothes on, and then fire up the wood stove. Mm-hmm. Okay, and and if that meant you had to go down, you know, go to the nearest water source, which was rather a hike, and bring that back, that's what it meant. It worked. <clears throat> I, I I did not object to it at the time. It was actually rather, it was a real education and very much worth doing. Yeah, but so down, yes. Yeah, so you have the down home funk, and that's great. Um, the other end of the spectrum is the new is new alchemy, which I name after the New Alchemy Institute, the most creative, the most original, the most brilliant, frankly, of the various groups that were trying to come up with a with a green high tech approach. These are people who built um, greenhouses that would produce food and warmth for people year round on Prince Edward Island off the coast of Canada. Yeah. It is not warm there. <laughs> they had another one on Cape Cod, which is not precisely um, a balmy, you know, uh, a balmy year-round tropical paradise either. Oh. And but the thing is, it works. Yeah. Uh, so they were they were into the greenhouses. They were the, they were into aquaculture. They were into um, electricity generating windmills on the small scale, not the titanic bird-killing right. monstrosities we have now, but just having having a you know. Um, windmill going up above your your um solar heated home yeah. and they did an enormous amount of good stuff their 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 documents are so readily available um i've got a copy of the book of the new alchemists which i will they will pry yeah. from my cold dead fingers that's a great and, book. <laughs> it's a great book yeah and then <clears throat> kind of in between those two if if down home funk is the past and the new alchemy is kind of striving for a future. Retrofit is the present. Retrofit is, okay, here is what we have now. Here is a, a slightly dumpy urban house, or here is, you know, a house out in, a former farmhouse out in the countryside. It is not in good shape. It is certainly not um, sustainable in its present form. How could we tinker with this thing to make it work? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Exactly, exactly. And the thing is, there, and one of the reasons I included all three is precisely because for different people, on different situations, either one can be a good option. Yeah. There is no, that one of the things I'd love to point out in, in my spiritual teaching, but it's also crucial in this, in this context, there ain't no such thing as one, as one and only one true way. Yeah, that yeah. makes a lot of sense. And I like this, this threefold, um, you know, way of looking at it and i can see the examples of that easily you know like mm-hmm. with the the new alchemy like i 
I interned at Daryl Fry's farm in Northwest PA, and he had mm-hmm. a bio shelter that he built in the summer mm-hmm. along the new alchemy uh, mm-hmm. guidelines. And it was mm-hmm. really inter. It was really cool. It worked. It's it's oh, it's cool stuff. Yeah, and then like the yeah. uh, Earth ships. I think I see that as a mm. kind of a new alchemy. Yes. Yeah. Um, the Earth. Sh- the the whole Earth ship thing. It's it's a very very interesting and creative reworking of new alchemy. And the way he uses tires full of dirt yes. as a yeah. basic structural thing. That kind of moves in the in the retrofit or is borrowing some stuff from retrofit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everyone, they, they, getting getting dead tires is, is not exactly a difficult thing these days. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> dead tires and dirt. <laughs> yeah, dead tires and dirt, exactly. And so, so yeah, that's um, that's another great example. The thing is, there were lots of them. Um, yeah. I tend to make fun of Buckminster Fuller a lot, and there are good <laughs> reasons for that. But he also had, you know, as long as you, you know, he also had some really interesting ideas. And some very useful ones, and he was tr- kind of pushing in that same new alchemy direction. And he's worth he's worth paying attention to. Just remember that he did not get the fact that um, thing that domes leak. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> that's, so yeah, for people- yeah, that's that's the reason that's the reason why the great the great geodesic dome thing um, did not you know sweep ordinary houses out of the way forever the way people right. thought it was domes always leak they leak like sieves especially in a high snow area where you do- oh yeah <laughs> yeah no there's a there's a reason why we evolved the pitched roof yeah pitched shingled roof it's because rain and snow rush off it <laughs> makes a lot of sense it does, but but Bucky was not the kind of person to. Buckminster Fuller spent his entire life try, trying to find some way for pi not to be an irrational number. <laughs> well, he's also a good example of that dissensus thing. He's certainly following his own. Vision. Oh, he actually, actually, Fuller is Fuller deserves a place in that calendar of American weirdos and saints. Yeah. He yeah, he followed his own vision. Um, some of the results were totally disastrous. <laughs> Um, I, I have something I'll be I'll be talking about in an upcoming post. They have actually built a, a new a working model of his Dymaxion car, and some guys from one of the auto magazines took it out for a spin, and they were going, "Oh my God, this is the most dangerous thing I have we have ever you know this, this is terrifying." <laughs> Trying to keep it on a straight line is an immense challenge. That's fun. But no, the thing is, Fuller was Fuller had the crucial, crucial thing. He was willing to fail. Yeah. He was willing to fail. He was willing to take risks. He came up with all kinds of things that didn't work and a few things that did. And you can go into, especially books of his like Synergetics, you can go into that and find the most preposterous ideas and wrestle with them and come up with something nice or something mm-hmm. weird or something just cool. Yeah. So some of, um, so it's obviously obvious that we need to use less energy. And mm-hmm. um, I'm wondering if you can go into some of the technical aspects or just like tips that homeowners can do if they are retrofitting their house regarding insulation oh, yeah. and yeah. curtains and things like that to conserve the energy that we do. Sure. Have. A, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Um, this was at the, in the very, very early 1980s. I, I took, you, everyone's heard of master composter classes at this point, or master gardener. 
Okay. There used to be master conserver classes of the same kind, and I actually went through the program. I still have all the handouts. Um, and so, yeah, there, the, the idea was there are, there are these very straightforward ways that you can retrofit a house to use much less energy. And, the, of course, the first thing is, is insulation. First thing is lots of insulation. Almost certainly, unless your house was retrofitted in the 1970s or early 1980s, you do not have enough insulation in your attic. You do not have enough insulation under your floorboards. You fix that. If you can get insulation into the um, into the walls, that's great also. But the ceiling and the floor are actually more important. More heat moves that way since heat tends to go tends to move vertically. Um, oh, windows heat goes up. <laughs> heat, go, heat goes up exactly. Heat goes up, <clears throat> and so if you get those two taken care of, you're going to be much more comfortable right there. You do not want a perfect seal, or you will suffocate, or actually more likely you will mold. Um, you yeah. need some amount of air moving through. So don't see, they, they, they did a certain amount of experimentation with these super duper sealed houses in the seventies and they were all disasters precisely because, you know, you need fresh air. Yeah. So, um, so we have plenty of insulation. Your windows are the great heat losers. If you obviously they need to be double paned, obviously they need to seal tightly all the way around. That's straightforward. Insulated window coverings, cheap. You can make insulated curtains with like an inch of batting in them. Put those up in the winter. Your heat bill is going to drop in half. Oh yeah, make sure your doors, uh, you know, around the doors, to leak air. Most most houses, if you add up the total amount of space in the windows and the doors, which is the cracks and the places where air is to get in, it's as though you had a hole two feet by two feet punched right through the wall, letting into the outside air. Yeah. It's that much space letting in the howling winds of heaven. Um, you can fix this. Get, the, get everything properly sealed and then use insulated window coverings at night. Um, there, there used to be whole books of these things, whether it's insulated curtains. Um, I've, seen, I've seen some places where you literally have these four-inch thick insulating things that you slide across the windows and clunk. They're like sections of wall. They pull out of the wall. And just slide straight across. And guess what? You have a lot of insulation. Um, also, of course, get used to a slightly cooler temperature. There is nothing wrong with putting on a sweater instead of turning up the thermometer. Right. Yeah. You know? Um, a hat, <laughs> too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's a reason why people in the Victorian period wore hats all the time. It's to keep their heads warm. <laughs> and, and, and it was a perfectly sensible thing to do. So you've got all of these ways you can you can keep. I mean, heat is the crucial thing. Um, obviously, you can use a lot less electricity than you do now. We we tend to waste electricity very freely. Um, in Texas, a little while ago, we saw why that's not necessarily something you can count on anymore. So have backups and um, plan on using a lot less electricity these days. That's a lot easier than it was in the seventies. LED-based light bulbs use just a trickle of electricity compared to what the incandescent ones did. Um, but there's a lot of other ways that you can just decrease the total amount of, of electricity you use. Mm -hmm. Obviously, uh, if you are doing all of this and you're climbing into an SUV to drive three blocks to the grocery store, um, <laughs> I know people like and then that. And driving to the gym. I, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, driving to the gym in order to get on a treadmill and walk. <laughs> How does this make any kind of sense 
outside of some sort of bizarre gibbering lunacy, uh, you know. But now, of course, part of it. Let's let's say this very very quietly. It's a it's a way of showing off your social your social class, your income. Yeah. You know, I don't have to walk. I can. You know, I don't have to walk on the streets. I'm I'm better than that. I can go to a gym and walk on the treadmill, and that shows that I'm richer than you are, peon, and so on. There's a lot of that in today's America. And that's something that I think we all very badly need to outgrow. Yeah. Especially the people. I mean, when people have literally anchored their identity and their sense of self and their sense of worth on um, being better than the working class, and a lot of middle class people do that, what a miserable way to live your life. Mm Mm-hmm. What a miserable thing to do when, when you know, all that you can do to say that I'm, I'm a special person is, is to look at how you're supposedly better than the working class who, you, you know, make up nasty stories about. Um, get out, leave your SUV or trade it in for, for, you know, trade it in for a bicycle and get out there and walk instead. Yeah, I like how much the book, The Green Wizardry, offers you some ideas to think about your own electric usage and the Mm -hmm. way you cook food and the way you heat your house and the way Mm -hmm. you exercise um, Mm -hmm. and how you can start to transition out of doing so much of that. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about hay boxes and sun boxes regarding cooking because that is really a clever one. Now, the the hay box that I, we, my wife and I happened to run across a little book on fireless cookers, which is their other name. Um, this was in Seattle. This will have been in the 1990s, I think it was. And it was a book that was published in the 1970s. It just, it's called Fireless Cookery. And I, I desperately wish, this is one of them that I, that I really wish somebody would reprint and make 10 million copies and get them everywhere. Because the trick is, most kinds of cooking, as we all know, you bring something to a boil and then you keep it on a simmer for a while. Mm-hmm. Okay. You can do that by bringing it to the boil and tucking it into um, a box full of insulation. Mm. And you don't need to keep it on a simmer. It will finish cooking by its residual heat. That's a hay box. They were called hay boxes, not surprisingly, because they were once full of dry hay. Mm -hmm. You bring the pot to a boil, you tuck it in the box, you dump in a bunch of hay, you close the lid. An hour later, it's perfectly cooked. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't scorch, by the way, because you don't have any more heat going into it. So this for making soups, for making stews, for making all kinds of food, makes the best oatmeal you've ever had. Um, it is precisely the equivalent of a crock pot, mm-hmm. except it uses a little less electricity. Now, I, I tend to think very highly of crock pots and of things like electric rice cookers because they use a tiny trickle of the electricity that you use on like a, a, a range. Mm-hmm. Um, your, your average crock pot uses about as much as a nightlight. Wow. Well, the thing is, it doesn't need, it doesn't need to do any more. It has this very slow trickle of heat that gradually rises to the simmer level. So yeah, it uses the thermal mass to concentrate that. So it's very very easy on the power source. But the 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 hay box takes it one step further. You just bring it to a boil somehow and then tuck it in the hay box. Let it cook on its own residual heat. Insulation is your friend. Yeah. Um, now solar cookers are 
a step beyond. Solo cookers are glorious. The, when you have a sunny day, and of course you do need direct sun for this, mm-hmm. if you live in a place that has sunny summers, you get a sun box. It has a has insulation on all sides except the top. It has a glass, uh, a layer of glass on top. You you take a pan, and the pan should be black, so it soaks up heat. You tuck the pan in there, you pop the lid on, you stick it out in a sunny day, and it hits 300 degrees. Wow. Oh yeah. Um, the the sun sunlight is is not concentrated heat, but like the like that heating element in the in the crock pot, it builds. And as long mm-hmm. as you have something to soak up the heat and something and some insulative stuff around it to keep it from getting away, it'll get good and hot. If you ever climbed into a car on a hot sunny day and gone yake because your your butt just fried on the on the seat, you know how fireless cookers work. <laughs> Fry an egg on that car or on the <laughs> exactly yeah you know when the when the ins, when when the surfaces inside the car um, are painfully hot if you take the same principle you apply it to cooking and you have a sun you have a solar cooker this is another thing they you can make them out of cardboard boxes I've seen them they work yeah yeah and this is something that. All the people out there who are saying, well, what can I do to, to conserve energy? What can I do to become more more sustainable, more resilient? Go ye henceforth with wise word and make yourself a, a solar cooker and use it in the summertime. Yeah, it might actually save your life. Like if you're in Austin, you know, and the electric <laughs> it, goes out. Yeah, exactly. Well, in California, because they, a lot of it, they've been shutting it down during the daytime in the summer. The sun. You've got a lot of sunlight. Yeah. You need to boil water. You can boil water in one of these things. Yeah. You can get it up. You can get it up to sterilizing temperatures very easily. So yeah, there are all of these things that you can do. A lot of them were explored in the seventies and the very early eighties. You can find them, you know, gathering dust in old used bookstores of the kind that I've described, or you know, look around elsewhere. And all of these are things that people can do to extract themselves from the machine, extract, stop being happy little cogs and actually turn into individuals who have some resilience and some capacity to do things for themselves. Yeah, for sure. So this is kind of reminding me of um, how you talk about systems theory and how we've mm-hmm. kind of gotten into this mess. And I was wondering if you could talk about the basic ideas of systems theory and especially Ooh. negative feedback and positive feedback <laughs> and how it relates okay. to our... Yeah. Okay, the, the, let's start with the basic concept of systems theory is that um, is obviously that of systems. The, the idea is it's in, the world is not a collection of random things sort of floating separate from each other, unaffected by one another in space. Everything connects to everyone else. You've all heard this, you know, mystical mystic stuff passed on from the dawn of time, but it's true in a very practical sense. Everything affects everything else to some degree or another. When you get a bunch of things that all affect each other quite a bit, that's a system. Systems are subject to various, there are various principles and feedback is crucial. Everybody confuses the terms for feedback. Positive feedback is not a good thing. Negative feedback is not a bad thing. Negative, let's start with negative feedback. Negative feedback is a thermostat. Okay, when the temperature goes off, the thermostat clicks off and the, and the furnace goes off. When the temperature drops again, the thermostat clicks and the heating goes on again. Negative feedback keeps you between you're, you know, within a certain range. That's and it, and it's very important. If you have negative feedback, you know you don't go too far in either direction. You can keep things in a nice stable middle ground. You can keep you keep yourself comfortable. You can keep your society and be intact or what have you. Positive feedback is the other way around. Imagine that 
a sadist came up with a thermostat. Okay. okay. And the sadist <laughs> thermostat, when it gets too hot, it turns on the thermometer. It turns on the, the furnace. Right. When uh, it gets too cold, it shuts it down. Yeah. So when it's too hot, it makes it hotter. And when it's too cold, it makes it colder. That's positive feedback. Yeah. That's also known as economic growth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because the whole idea of economic growth is not to find a nice, stable place where we can all more or less live our lives in relative comfort. It's no, no, more, more, more progress. <clears throat> until we yeah, progress. <laughs> yeah, until we progress face first into a buzzsaw. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The, yeah, the, the, it, it's it's one of those it's one of those things. Um, <laughs> po- too much positive too much positive feedback is the most common way the systems destroy themselves. Right, that makes sense. Okay, whereas effective use of negative feedback is how systems sustain themselves. That's true of social systems. It's true of household systems. It's true of natural systems. It's true of every kind of system. And so, to understand. The value of negative feedback and to avoid positive feedback wherever you can, that's basic common sense if you understand systems. If you don't, well, then you believe what the media tells you and I think the gods help you. Yeah. I I first was introduced to systems theory through permaculture, actually, Mm -hmm. which is another another one of those things that came came out of the late 70s. -hmm. And it had its own trajectory and it has its problems, but it also has, you know, it brought a lot of interesting things too. Mm-hmm. And looking at, at whole systems, mm-hmm. it's just, it, it, it's uh, just a different way of looking. Like you can see, mm-hmm. when you see your whole house as mm-hmm. an economy, right. And mm-hmm. like, that's mm-hmm. <laughs> where the word comes from. And you look yeah. at the garden as an, as a whole system, it, it yeah. really changes. Where do, what, what are your inputs what are your outputs? Yeah, yeah is it a what circle the, or is yeah. it a line from like is it a line? to the um, place? Yeah. Where, are the, where are the feedback loops in which and how do they, are they positive feedback loops or negative feedback loops? What connects to what? What is disinsulated from what? Yeah, you look at it, something like that and all of a sudden it becomes transparent. You can understand how it works. And that, of course, is exactly why um, people in the media and in the establishment don't want you to do that. Because if you understand how something works, you can look at the garbage being shoveled at you from the media and say, that's garbage. They, <laughs> they're nuts. I'm, I'm not going to listen to them. And of course, then the whole game is over. Yeah. So it seems like for me, green, green wizardry um, mm-hmm. is about people just doing what they can to change their own lives. Mm-hmm. And for me, it really uh, hits home your your famous quote: "Collapse now and to and avoid the rush." <laughs> yeah, yeah. That and the thing is, we've had all of these people for all of these years insisting, "No, no, no! Don't change your life. Do this instead. Join this movement. Support this cause. Vote for this this wretched candidate. What have you?" And and everything will be better. Okay, and it hasn't worked. You know it hasn't worked. I know it hasn't worked. Everyone knows that doing everything else won't do it. The only thing that we can do is start by changing our lives. Now, it is normal when you mention when I mention that, certainly it's normal that people will go, Well, but that's not enough. And I'm saying I didn't say it was. But right. until you do that, you're not gonna actually do anything else. Yeah, it's necessary but not sufficient. Necessary but not sufficient. It's the necessary foundation. Yeah. And it's necessary in two ways. First of all, you can 
cannot be part of the solution if your lifestyle is part of the problem. Flat out, end of sentence. That's simply the case. Second of all, the major reason why we've had so little movement is there's so few role models. Um, Human beings are primates. You know, primate see, primate do. If somebody is having a perfectly good life on a fraction of the energy use, a fraction of the carbon footprint as their neighbors, people are going to notice and go, oh, wow. Okay, maybe that's an option for me. If it's all, you know, some, some, some dork um, who flies from place to place in a private jet and is chauffeured around in, in ex- an expensive car and has a, has a carbon footprint, footprint the size of an entire town in Indonesia, okay? Saying, we need to conserve more energy, okay? You have, no one's going to pay them the least attention. Wait. And that has, that has been most of who's been making this noise about, about, you know, we have to use less carbon. Well, why don't you start? So Al Gore isn't going to save us all? (laughs) Al Gore did more damage to climate change activism by the simple expedient of building himself that gargantuan, poorly insulated energy hog mansion of his. Yeah. Do you know that that George W. Bush has – his home in Texas is solar-powered? Huh. Seriously, it's fairly sustainable. Certainly wow. <laughs> much better than much better than Al Gore's. And right there you have the pervasive hypocrisy of the climate movement, which amounts to a bunch of privileged people shouting, Everyone else has to change their lives so that we don't have to change ours. Yeah, it's and, back, back and to role models why, again of like Johnny Appleseed as a role yeah, model. Johnny Apple, yeah. yeah, Johnny Appleseed. Now there is a, there is a man who has sustainability down to a fine art. Yeah. Definitely. Exactly. And so, and he's also a man who had service down to a fine art. This was a man who, you know, he knew what he wanted to do, and he knew that it was to do it. He had to act in ways that would that would help other people, that would encourage other people to support him. He yeah. did it. He everyone loved him, so, and he accomplished his work. Was he a green wizard? Um, he. He was, uh, he, as, as American green wizards go, he's, he's in the Gandalf and Merlin category. I'd say. He's way up there. So what a, based on like your knowledge of what an actual historical wizard is, based on, you know, translating the peak mm-hmm. tricks, um, mm-hmm. what is a wizard? <clears throat> well, it's, if you actually think about the word, and you know a little about Middle English, a wizard is a wise person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's literally what it means. Mm-hmm. Um. A wizard is a wise person. A wizard, the the wizard is the guy who is the guy or the woman, the man or woman, the person who knows what to do. Yeah. He's the one you go to because you're in a fix. You've got this ring of power and you don't know what to do with it. Or you just pulled a sword out from a stone and now you're right with born king of England. Or what the heck are you <laughs> going to do about that? Um, or what have you. You go to the wizard because the wizard can give you good advice. The wizard can say, okay, um, you got this ring of power. There's this mountain. There's this volcano. Uh, we're on our way. Pack. Yeah. Pack your bags, guy. Here we go. Um, or he, you know, or you know, the wizard says, "Okay, well, you're king now, and now you need to look at how to, you know, how to um, bring a bring a, a troubled and and um, torn and shredded kingdom to peace, and you know, establish a legend that will ring down the centuries, um, or what have you." Um, John Dee is another great example. Queen oh, Elizabeth's yeah. Yeah. court wizard and, and astrologer. Um, 
I, I like to I like to use him for people, you know, as an example for people who don't think astrology has any place in these things. Uh, the first thing that she ever asked him to do was, "Can you come up with a um, a date and time for my coronation mm-hmm. that will make me a successful and famous queen?" And I think he managed it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably one of the most successful and famous queens in the entire history of the world. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> no, D-, D was good. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, exactly. This is this. The wizard is the person who can who can give you the advice you need. Yeah. And you notice that the these the wizards of history and and of and of legend they don't push. Mm-hmm. You seek them out, yeah. and then they'll go. Sure, I think I can help you. And so one of the things that I hope to inspire with the whole the whole green wizardry idea was precisely that sense of encouraging people to learn this stuff, yeah. make it a part of their lives, and then make it available to others who are interested. Don't go out, the, you know, running up and down, waving a sign and yelling, blah, 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 blah. It's great aerobic exercise, but how much has it actually accomplished? Right. It oftentimes drives off as many people as it converts. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And since, and since so many people are doing that instead of changing their lives or doing anything else useful, um, it's, it's, it can be very counterproductive. Instead, what we need are people who learn these things, practice them in their own lives, put them to work and can say, okay, this is how you do this. This is how you do that. You know, come from my backyard. We'll talk about organic gardening or what have you. We'll bake a cake and, with my solar oven. It'll be, it'll be fun. Exactly. And yeah, and, and, yeah, and the cake comes out of the solar oven. You're going, whoa. Yeah, it's pretty Nothing amazing and memorable. No, no energy went into that except yeah. sunlight. I think I can oh. handle this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and as you say in the Picatrix, often the wizards had to know about agriculture first. Oh, off. yeah. Oh, well, the, the, especially back in the day. I mean, nowadays we pretend that we don't have to care about agriculture, We, you know, which, which is – stupidity of the drool puddling in your lap variety because you know <laughs> we all do need to eat and so but yeah um your some of some of the old in fact the picatrix has a lot of material in agriculture some of the other classic wizards handbooks from the same period have even more because the first thing you needed to know you okay a king or a local lord or lady or a um just you know a local peasant comes to you and say hey i need help Nine times out of ten, part of what you need to do is straighten out what they're doing to grow food. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, and we're 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 heading back into that same kind of situation. So, oh, I would yeah. encourage all the prospective wizards and and wizardesses. Um, too few people know about Organda the Unknown, who was the sorcerer, the the good sorceress in um, Amadis of Gaul, the great fantasy, the great fantasy bestseller of the 14th century. Um, Organda the Unknown, glorious name. You, but yeah, so there, there, you def, it's definitely there is plenty of room for for um, wizardesses as well as wizards. Um, and but one of the things that they need to know is how to advise people on how to grow how to, how to grow food. Yeah. It's also a good thing for people who are very caught up in esoteric studies or book learning mm-hmm. and so on to get their hands dirty a little bit. Get, exactly, exactly. Getting getting things to use the Kabbalistic language, bringing things all the way down into into Malkut, the tenth sphere, the sphere of dirt. Yeah, <laughs> it's very good for you. Well, I think we've blown through our time pretty quickly. Seems. <laughs> yeah. I try to keep it entertaining. <laughs> well, you certainly. <laughs> you do real good. Thank you. Do it. Thank you. <laughs> so I'll put in uh, some 
some show notes, links to your blog and to the Mm -hmm. green wizardry and so on. Um, Is there anything that you'd like to share with our listeners before we close? Um, Just remember that just, I would encourage each of them to remember that, you know, nobody else is going to, nobody else is going to give them a a meaningful, interesting, fun life. They have to make that for themselves and the media and the establishment and the structure of our society is opposed to that. So if they want to do that, they're going to have to do it in the teeth of opposition, which makes it all the more fun. Get out there and make, you know, get out there, follow Johnny Appleseed and, and make it, make a strange life for yourselves. And it's possible as we can be done. We see. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it can be done. Thank you. Thank you, John Michael Greer, for being a wizard to so many, so many folks. Us. You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. This has been really fun. I appreciate it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have uh, a have a good evening. All right. Ciao. I will do that. And likewise. And we'll talk later. Yeah. Okay. Cheers. Bye. Okay. This is a version of Vachel Lindsay's poem in praise of Johnny Appleseed, read by me. In the days of President Washington, the glory of the nations, dust and ashes, snow and sleet, and hay and oats and wheat, blue west, crossed the Appalachians, found the glades of rotting leaves, the soft deer pastures, in the forest. Colts jumped the fence, snorting, ramping, snapping, sniffing, with gastronomic calculations crossed the Appalachians, the east walls of our citadel, and turned to gold-horned unicorns, feasting in the dim volunteer farms of the forest. Stripidest, kickingest, kittens escaped, caterwauling, Yankee doodle dandy, renounced their poor relations crossed the Appalachians and turned to tiny tigers in the humorous forest. Chickens escaped from farmyard congregations, crossed the Appalachians and turned to amber trumpets on the ramparts of our Hoosier's nest and citadel, millennial heralds of the foggy, mazy forest. Pigs broke loose, scrambled west, scorned their loathsome stations, crossed the Appalachians, turned to roaming, foaming, wild boars of the forest. The smallest, blindest puppies toddled west, while their eyes were coming open, and, with misty observations, crossed the Appalachians, barked, barked, barked at the glow-warms, and the marsh lights, and the lightning bugs, and turned to ravening wolves of the forest. Crazy parrots and canaries flew west, drunk on Maytime revelations, crossed the Appalachians, and turned to delirious, flower-dressed fairies of the lazy forest. Haughtiest swans and peacocks swept west, and, despite soft derivations, crossed the Appalachians and turned to blazing warrior souls of the forest, singing the ways of the Ancient of Days. 
and the old Continentals in their ragged regimentals with bards' imaginations crossed the Appalachians, and a boy flew west, and with prayers and incantations, and with Yankee Doodle Dandy, crossed the Appalachians, and was young John Chapman. Then Johnny Appleseed, Johnny Appleseed, chief of the fastnesses, dappled and vast, in a pack on his back, in a deer-hide sack, the beautiful orchards of the past, the ghosts of all the forests and the groves, in that pack on his back, in that talisman sack, tomorrow's peaches, pears, and cherries, tomorrow's grapes and red raspberries, seeds and tree souls, precious things, feathered with microscopic wings, all the outdoors the child heart knows, and the apple, green, red and white, son of his day and his night, the apple allied to the thorn, child of the rose, porches untrod of forest houses, all before him, all day long, Yankee Doodle, his marching song, and the evening breeze joined his psalms of praise, as he sang the ways of the ancient of days. Leaving behind August Virginia, proud Massachusetts and proud Maine, planting the trees that would march and train on his arm, on in his name to the great Pacific, like Birnam Wood to Dunsinane, Johnny Appleseed swept on, every shackle gone, loving every sloshy break, loving every skunk and snake, loving every leathery weed, Johnny Appleseed, Johnny Appleseed, master and ruler of the unicorn-ramping forest, the tiger-mewing forest, the rooster-trumpeting, boar-foaming, wolf-ravening forest, the spirit-haunted, fairy-enchanted forest, stupendous and endless, searching its perilous ways in the name of the Ancient of Days. Hear him asking his friends, the eagles, to guard each planted seed and seedling, while the late snow blew from bleak Lake Erie, scourging rock and river and reed, for Jonathan Chapman, Johnny Appleseed, Johnny Appleseed. As though his heart were a wind-blown wheat sheaf, as though his heart were a new-built nest, as though their heaven house were his breast. In swept the snowbirds singing glory, and I hear his bird heart beat its story. Hear yet how the ghost of the forest shivers, hear yet the cry of the gray old orchards, dim and decaying by the rivers, and the timid wings of the bird ghosts beating. By the hour of dawn he was proud and stark, went forth to live on roots and bark slept in the trees while the years howled by, calling the catamounts by name and buffalo bulls no hand could tame, slaying never a living creature, joining the birds in every game, with the gorgeous turkeys gobblers mocking, with the lean-necked eagles boxing and shouting, sticking their feathers in his hair, Turkey feathers, 
eagle feathers, trading hearts with all the beasts and weathers. He swept on, winged and wonder-crested, bare-armed, bare-footed, and bare-breasted. The maples, shedding their spinning seeds, called to his apple seeds in the ground, Vast chestnut trees and their butterfly nations called to his seed without a sound, and the chipmunk turned a somerset, and the foxes danced the Virginia reel. Hawthorn and crabthorn bent, rain wet, and dropped their flowers in his night-black hair, and the soft fawn stopped for his perorations, and his black eyes shone through the forest gleam, and he plunged young hands into new-turned earth, and prayed dear orchard bows into birth, and he ran with the rabbit and slept with the stream, and he ran with the rabbit and slept with the stream, and he ran with the rabbit and slept with the stream, in the days of President Washington. Hear the hoofbeats of deer in the snow, and see by their track bleeding footprints we know. See conventions of deer go by. The bucks toss their horns, the fuzzy fawns fly. Faint hoofbeats of fawns long gone, from respectable pasture, and park and lawn. And heartbeats of fawns that are coming again, when the forest once more is the master of men. Long, long after. When settlers put up beam and rafter, they asked of the birds, Who gave this fruit? Who watched this fence till the seeds took root? Who gave th these boughs? They asked the sky, and there was no reply. But the robin might have said, To the farthest west he has followed the sun, His life and his empire just begun. Self-scourge like a monk, with a throne for wages, Stripped like the iron-souled Hindu sages, draped like a statue in strings like a scarecrow, his helmet hat an old tin pan, but worn in the love of the heart of man, more sane than the helm of Tamerlane, Harry Ainu, wild man of Borneo, Robinson Crusoe, Johnny Appleseed. And the robin might have said, sowing, he goes to the far, new west, with the apple, the sun of his burning breast, the apple allied to the thorn, child of the rose. Washington buried in Virginia, Jackson buried in Tennessee, young Lincoln brooding in Illinois, and Johnny Appleseed priestly and free, knotted and gnarled past seventy years, still planted on in the woods alone, Ohio and young Indiana, these were his wide altar stone. Where still he burnt out flesh and bone, at last his own trees overtook him, at last his own trees hurried past him. Many cats were tame again, many ponies tame again, many pigs were tame again, many canaries tame again. And the real frontier was his sunburnt breast, from the fiery core of that apple, the earth sprang apple amaranths divine. Love's orchards climbed to the heavens of the west and snowed the earthly sod with flowers. Farmhands from the terraces of the blessed danced on the mists with their ladies fine, and Johnny Appleseed laughed with his dreams and swam once more the ice-cold streams, and the doves of the spirit swept through the hours 
with doom calls, love calls, death calls, dream calls. And so once more his youth began, Johnny Appleseed. Then the sun was his turned-up broken barrel, out of which his juicy apples rolled, thumping across the gold, an angel in each apple that touched the forest mold. Each red, rich, round, and bouncing moon that touched the forest mold, he saw the fruits unfold, and all our expectations in one wild flower, written dream, confusion and death, sweetness, and a thicket of crab thorns. Heart of a hundred midnights, heart of the merciful morns, heaven's boughs bent down with their alchemy, perfumed airs and thoughts of wonder, and the dew on the grass and his own cold tears were one in brooding mystery. Though death's loud thunder came upon him, though death's loud thunder struck him down, the bows and the proud thoughts swept through the thunder, the vista of ten thousand years, flower lighted and complete, hear the lazy weeds murmuring, bays and rivers whispering, listen to the eagles screaming, calling, Johnny Appleseed, Johnny Appleseed, there by the doors of old Fort Wayne. In the four-poster bed Johnny Appleseed built, autumn rains were the curtains, autumn leaves were the quilt. He laid him down sweetly and slept through the night, there by the doors of old Fort Wayne.